Well, I, uh, Matt texted me what Pastor John um, read to you earlier about the report from Winterfest. And uh, it came in on my phone at 10 minutes past midnight. And the first thing that Pastor Matt said was, I hope this doesn't wake you. <laughs> I mean, really? Come on. But the truth of the matter is, is that I didn't have a clue because I had silenced my phone and didn't see it until this morning. But wow, what a way to wake up to get a report like that and see the wonderful works of God, not only among our young people, but our our chaperones, our adults that are there as well. You know, maybe next year you'll be able to go with them and, uh, and see the bears at the cabin and all that kind of good stuff and enjoy. I, I was told preliminarily um, that there were about 10,000 young people there in Pigeon Forge. So that, that is up from what it had been because of COVID and other things. We have had as many as 18,000 when we were in Knoxville at uh, Thompson Bowling Arena, uh, but it's building back. You know, it takes a little while sometimes when things like that happen, um, but 10,000 is a great number to see so many kids worshiping the Lord and seeking the Lord. Someone asked me this morning, they said, Pastor, have you ever been to Winterfest? <laughs> and before I came here to be your pastor, I was a state youth director for 15 years, served in Illinois, and then Michigan, and then West Virginia. And I went to every Winterfest during those times uh, in various locations. We'd do two or three times a year go to Winterfest. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I've been to several of them through the years and got saved every time. I, I just, you know, you can't go to Winterfest and not get saved or resaved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's such, it's such a powerful and wonderful thing to see our young people have the opportunity. And one of the things that Pastor Matt wanted me to share with you this morning, and I told him that I would, is how grateful that he is for your financial contributions this year. They were higher than they typically are because of some of the things, the fundraisers and what have you, that, uh, that we were able to participate in. And he said the, the increase in the finances for this trip was so appreciated. And it allowed some kids to be able to go that would not have been able to go any other way. So if you gave and you contributed in any way, we want to say thank you for that. Uh, you never know your seed that you sowed financially may very well have been the key to a young person getting to go and to be in an environment where they felt comfortable in giving their life to Christ and be filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, those three girls that were in the video this morning, I want them to come back and act like that here when they're here. How many of you want that? It'd be all right with me if they just jump up in the middle of service and come up and say, Pastor, is it okay if I pray this morning instead of Pastor John or you or... Maybe somewhere down the road, one of them will say, next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching. You can take the week off. That'd be all right with me, wouldn't it? You, God is good. One thing that I've learned as I'm getting older, and I'm not old, but I'm getting older. Every day that we live, we're getting older. You know that, right? Is that God will do and God will raise up whatever young people he has to raise up to replace guys like me when my time comes to transition. I'm not there yet, and it won't be there anytime soon that I'm aware of, but I'm thankful that God already has a plan, and I'm thankful that this church will be in good hands. Should he tarry and not return for the church, it will fall into the hands of good, anointed young people. Amen? So thank you for all that you have done. I've been thinking this week about um, something that has just captured my heart a little bit. And so the message this week is, is one that I've entitled, How to Love Others. You know, this whole concept of love can be difficult at times. So how many of you know some people are hard to love? How many of you know that you may be hard to love? 
But you know, when I think about revival and when I think about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you know, the Scripture tells us that love is one of those things that sets us apart from the world. And we're Pentecostals, and we like to talk about being filled with the Spirit. We like to talk about speaking in tongues as the, as the Spirit gives the utterance. We like talking about miracles. We like talking about all the wonderful and powerful things that God does. But you know, the Scripture teaches us that one of the things that shows the world that we are truly disciples of Christ is not how fast we can run the aisles and it's not how much we dance during praise and worship. It's not how much we clap our hands and raise our hands. Those are all good things. Those are all expressions of worship. But the Bible tells us that they will know we are Christians by our love. If you ever go to a church or you're part of a group of people and you just sense that there's nothing there but tension and there's very little love there, then you can be sure that the Spirit of Christ is not among them. But when you see people that love one another and love their family and love their friends and love their church and love their God and love everyone around them, it's a sure sign that the Spirit of God is alive and well within them. And I think one of the things that I love so much about our church is the love that you experience when you come here. It's just one of those places I, I don't have to spend time getting between people and refereeing and pulling you apart and hearing you complain and gripe and fuss at one another. I, I don't have to do any of that. And I... Sometimes when I get with my pastor friends and I hear them talk, I just feel like I want to pray and intercede for them and thank God for me that I am not where they are because they deal with so much of that kind of stuff. But we just don't deal with that around here. But it's easy to love your church brothers and sisters. It's easy when you come here and see people that you look forward to meeting and being with. It's easy for us to love one another. We've grown accustomed to one another, and it's not a hard thing at all. But how many of you know that sometimes it's hard to love our family? The, the ones that we live with day in and day out, sometimes it's difficult. Would you say amen to that? Sometimes that snotty old neighbor that lives next door to us can be just so difficult and so hard to love. Would you not agree with that? Sometimes we go to work and you may be working around other individuals and if there are ten around you, eight of them are hard to get along with them and one of them you love. And, and, and you just find yourself so often in those situations. But I want you to see today from the message and from Scripture that one of our greatest challenges, but one of our most powerful ways of reaching others for Christ is to simply to allow the love of Jesus Christ to flow through us. So I want you for the next few moments to share with me and let's, let's go through Scripture and see what God has to say about this. Before we preach, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this lovely crowd that is with us this morning. I thank you for each and every one of them and the life that they live before you. Lord, we genuinely do have such good people. I won't go so far as to say that we're perfect people, but Lord, we have people who love you and they care about you and they care about one another. So I pray that today, that as we talk about this idea of love, that you will help us to solidify the ways that we already love one another, but then to find new ways in which we can express love to those who are in our lives and around us. And Father, we'll be careful to give you praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, I love you. I think I heard somebody say, I don't like you, but I love you very much. <laughs> no, maybe I didn't hear that at all. John chapter 13, verses, 14, excuse me, verses 34 through 35, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Did you notice that word commandment? He says, I've given you a new commandment. Then he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see this expressed through the ministry and the life of Paul. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it best to be left behind alone at Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it happened, as you know. And for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, here's the context for the First Thessalonians passage of Scripture. Paul had ministered among the Thessalonians. He was responsible for helping start that church there. And he had told them when he was there that because of their faith, that they would suffer great persecution. It had not happened to them yet, but he said it will come in the future. And now at the time of this writing, not only is Paul suffering persecution, but he hears the reports back from the church at Thessalonians, at Thessalonica, excuse me, that they too were experiencing great persecution and so his heart was heavy for them his heart was heavy because he loved them and he cared about them and he was concerned about their faith and so there are four things that I want to point out to you about this love that we see not only in Paul but through the life and ministry of Jesus I have this year been asking myself the question as I go through scripture and as I do my devotions, do I see Jesus in this? It may not have anything to do about Jesus or have his name even mentioned there, but I'm asking myself, can I see Jesus in this setting? And so today I'm going to talk to you not only about Paul, but how that in many ways Jesus expressed the very same love. So the first thing that I want to point out to you about uh, Paul's love for, for the Thessalonians is this. He had a sincere affection for them. He really liked them. He really loved them. Now, how many of you know that there are some people that you just have to make yourself love them? You just have to make yourself like them because their personality is such that they're very hard to take. But that was not the case here. Paul sincerely loved them. And here's how we know this. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, I want you to notice that phrase, when, when we could endure it no longer. These are the words of Paul so you can actually say when he said, when I could no longer endure it. Who is the we that he was talking about? He was talking about his ministry partners that were there with him in, in his setting. Silas would have probably been there. And then, of course, we know that Timothy was there because they were getting ready to, to send Timothy uh, to the people. And so that we know that there were some people around him and Paul was saying that when we had considered your circumstance, when we considered your difficulty, when we considered your persecution and the hard times that you were going through, we got to the place where the burden for you was so heavy 
that we finally came to a place where we said, I can't endure it anymore. We can't just say that we love them. We can't just say that we're praying for them. We can't just say that we're going to lift them up and encourage them and edify them. We've got to get some boots on the ground and we've got to go to where they are so that we can lift them up. Listen, church, it's not good enough for us to say that we love the world. It's not good enough for us to say that we want our children to be saved. It's not good enough for us to say that our, we love our spouse. We've got to put boots on the ground and we've got to express the love of Christ to them in such a way that it will be transformational in their life. He said, I got to the place where I was thinking about it and praying about it and burdened about it to such degree for you that I couldn't endure it anymore. I just made up my mind that it's not enough for me to just do this. I have to do something significant that will show the love of Christ to them. And Jesus demonstrated the same kind of thing. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Has there ever been anyone in your life that you just felt like, you know, I'm tired of loving them? I'm not going to love them anymore. As a pastor, one of the saddest things that I ever deal with or have to hear in my ministry is when a couple who has been married and together for many, many years comes to the place in their life where they determine and they decide that they no longer love one another. And oftentimes when they come to me, by the time that they come to me, they've already made up their mind that they don't love each other anymore and therefore there is no hope for their marriage. And what I always try to get them to see is that the Lord himself is able to resurrect the love that has always been there and no doubt still is there if they could just get past themselves. Listen, there's no one that God has put in our lives that is not worthy of love and capable of receiving the love of Christ from us. Now here's what happens so often. We want to love everybody the same way. I want to love you the same way as I love you, the same way as I love you, and the same way that I love you and you and you. But how many of you know that there are different types of people that live among us? Their personalities are different. Uh, God made them differently than this person or that person. And what works for one will not work for the other. And so it's a challenge to us to determine that I have to love this one differently than the way that I love that one. And oftentimes when that's the case, somebody who sees you loving someone differently than someone else, they'll call you a hypocrite. They'll say, well, you know, you're just a hypocrite because you love them better than you love them. I give you permission next time to say to them, don't call me a hypocrite. I'm trying to love them in a way that will impact their life and in a way that they can receive and accept. I'm not trying to be hypocritical at all. I just know that this one's love language is different than this one's love language. And so I must love them in a way that is different. Jesus did that. He loved all of them all the way to the very end. He loved them. But if you look closely at the relationships that Jesus had with his disciples, he loved them differently. So it's okay for you to love one another differently. Now, if you are the parent to multiple children, you know exactly what I'm saying. Because the, the fact of the matter is, that you probably don't have children that are exactly the same. My son was so different and is so different from my daughter. 
that had we tried to love them the same, it, it would have been utter failure because they were nothing alike, nothing at all. And they're still nothing alike. And they, they sometimes, they will get to, we have a family text group that we text with one another occasionally and you know when are we having dinner together and who's coming over to the house and who's bringing the food and what are you bringing and what are you bringing and what are you bringing and invariably Donald will say something like I love you guys so much I just can't wait until we all get together and buy you know and it's so cute and so sweet and invariably one of them will say I'm the favorite and then they get to going between each other. She loves me more than she loves you. She's always loved me more than she loved. You know what I'm saying? There are people in our lives that they keep that kind of thing moving all the time. But listen, the fact of the matter is, is that when we love someone, we have to love them back in such a way that they can receive and understand it. But it all comes out of our love. Now listen, you can tell that you love someone when you love them and it hurts. How many of you know that sometimes love hurts? It does. Someone said, you will never know the power of love until you are vulnerable to the pain of love. Let me read that again. You will never know the power of love until you are vulnerable to the pain of love. Listen, when someone inflicts pain on you and you're trying to love them, it's easy enough to just say, I'm done with you. I'm telling you, I've had all of you that I can stand. And so I've just decided that you can go your own way and I'll just do my own thing. But how many of you know that in those moments of pain, when someone has inflicted pain upon you, it really is one of those moments when you've got to make up your mind that I love you so much that I'm going to dig in here and I'm not going to give up on you even when it seems like that this relationship is a total loss. I'm going to keep on loving you because I love you that much. So Paul and Jesus both, they started with sincere affection. Now, the second thing that we see here in this passage of Scripture is what I'm calling a deliberate sacrifice. Now, how many of you know that sometimes sacrifice has to be made, but it's not made by choice? Sometimes people inflict things upon you, and it causes you to have to respond differently or live differently. It's not what you, have cho you would have chosen to do, but it's something that you had to do because the circumstance called for it. And because of your love for them, you were willing for that sacrifice to become yours. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is when Paul made up his mind that I am going to do something deliberately. I'm going to make up my mind and I'm going to discover what it is that I need to do that, I, that will in, impact the lives of these people that I love so much. And so what it is, it's, we see it in verse 2. He said, and so we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So now Timothy was a son of Paul. He is a spiritual son of Paul. And Paul loved having people around him. If you look throughout the life of Paul, Paul always had somebody close to him. He always had somebody that he was mentoring, that he was trying to teach the ways of the kingdom. He was trying to teach them how to walk and how to minister and how to love and how to lead. And, and he always had somebody around. I, I can kind of relate to Paul because I've kind of always been, I'm not a loner. I like to have people around me. In all of my ministry, I've tried to have younger people and young ministers and, and, and staff members that are around me because I can see the vision. I'm pretty good at that. I can see the vision. But I have a hard time pulling the vision together. And so what I have to learn to do is I have to learn 
to give the vision to someone who has the skill and the ability and the desire to make the vision happen. I remember when I was state youth director in Michigan, the overseer came to me, called me into his office one day, and he said, um, he said, I, I am uh, getting ready to be some places and do some things. And he said, it's going to take me a good amount of time to get this done. And he said, so I'm going to need for you to do my job while I'm away from my post and while I'm doing other things. And he said, I've invested in you the previous two years and you know what needs to be done. And I have confidence in you and I believe in you and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to sleep well at night because I know that I have trained you and raised you up to do the things that need to be done. And I kind of looked at him as a little bit overwhelmed because I knew what his job was and what it entailed. And so I said to him, I said, all right, here's the deal. I will do what you're asking me to do, but I need to have access to all of your secretaries. I said, the one that I have is a good one, but she isn't good enough to do all of these jobs by herself. She's not capable. And so he looked at me and he kind of giggled a little and he said, whatever I have, you have. So just do the job. And he went and told all of the secretaries, the bookkeeper, the secretary, the evangelism secretary, everybody said, you now report to him. And I thought, man, I feel kind of powerful right now in this moment. I feel like there's nothing that I couldn't do. But the reality is, is that just like I was going to work to alleviate his burden and to make him look good, all these people in the staff, that they're going to be working with me as I work with him so that we can labor together to get the job done. So what I'm saying is, is that there are times that we have to do things that are tangible in order to lighten the burden upon those who are having a very difficult time. And so he said, I would really like to keep Timothy here with me. Timothy's my man. Timothy is my right hand man. Timothy is the guy that I turn to. Timothy is the guy that I pray with. Timothy is the guy that I hang out with. Timothy is my son in the faith. Timothy, Timothy is my greatest blessing. He said, but when I thought about you and your difficulty and the hardship that you were facing, I realized that it was more important that I send Timothy to you than it would be for me to keep Timothy for myself even though he would be a great blessing to me. What I'm saying to you is, there are times that we have to determine how willing are we to sacrifice for someone else who is in need. One of the things that I love about our church is a willingness to rise to the occasion when someone is in need. And you know, I don't normally like to think of myself and my family as being in need, but you know that for the last several weeks and months, Donna and I have been facing one of the greatest battles that we've ever faced in our lives together. And we've had difficult times. And I've, you know, I've had to help and I've had to do things that I don't really know how to do. And it's a pain for her to have to eat my food as an example. And, 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 you know, there are days that I don't get her hair just right. And she'll say, well, let's try this. Let's curl it this way. And let's curl it that way. And, then, you know, I'm in there just kind of, you know, whatever you have to do, you know, to make it work, you do. But I don't know. I think she looks pretty good, don't you? But, but the fact of the matter is, is that she's getting better and she's being able to curl the brush while I just stand there with a hairdryer and go like this. So we just kind of work together and occasionally I just go out in another world like, and she says, hey, 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 you're burning my head, buddy, you're burning my head. 
Sometimes we just have to do things that we're not accustomed to doing. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, we, we, we have to love one another. And during this time, I mean, we've had people who have called and said, hey, I'm bringing dinner tonight. You know, and they'll bring by and set it out on the porch, and I'll take it in and heat it up. And it's so much easier to heat something up than it is to make it from scratch. And then on somebody else will call and say, well, I'm coming on Thursday. You know, or I'm coming on Monday of next week. And you've been so kind and you've been so gracious. And by the way, I've got some plates for some of you that brought food for me. After church, see me. I'll get them back to you. Somebody said, somebody called me one day and they said, or, or texted me. I can't remember. They said, Pastor, said, would, would it be okay for me to get my plates back? I said, because I, I want to bring you some more food, but I'm out of plates. And if you'll bring me my plates back, I can bring you some more food. And I said, oh, I'll bring them today if I have to, you know. No, I didn't say that. But I, what I'm saying is, is that all of these people who are loving, had someone say to me, say, I noticed Miss Donna's been coming in in a wheelchair. Is it okay if I just bring her in and park her and get her set up and come get her when church is over and take her back and all? That's the kind of people that we have at our church who, who, who are saying, we see a need here and we want to express our love and our concern and we want our people, we want you to know as our pastor that we are deliberately sacrificing our time and our ability so that we can be a blessing to you. And listen, it doesn't just happen for me. I've heard about it happening through the young adult families when someone has an illness or a sickness. I've heard it happening with others in the adults that maybe they've had a physical need to arise that they weren't expecting and people will rise up and put together a, a meal train and say, look, I'll take a couple of nights if you'll take a couple of nights if you'll take a couple of nights. And listen, that's not easy stuff. You got to go to the store and get the food and prepare it and and bring it and make sure that they get it and all those kinds of things and 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 what I'm telling you is as that Paul was saying I really would prefer that Timothy stay right here by me because he is my strong right arm he is my helper he is my son in the faith but I know that in this season that you need Timothy worse than I need Timothy and it's okay for me to be alone uh, if Timothy can come and be a blessing to you so sometimes this kind of love requires a deliberate sacrifice. John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus did the same thing that Paul did. He deliberately sacrificed himself so that you and I could be saved from our sin. Aren't you glad that Jesus loved us that much? Aren't you glad that He was willing? I received word this, this week that one of the great warriors of the faith in the church of God, a man by the name of Floyd Lahan, uh, passed away and is now experiencing his great reward in heaven. Floyd was one of the greatest evangelists that the church of God has ever known. What he was best known for is he'd take his Bible and he'd just throw it out in the congregation. And whoever caught that Bible, they'd just be slain in the Spirit, lay out in the floor under the anointing of God, and whatever their dilemma was, they'd be healed, they'd be saved, whatever. Sometimes he would say, you, back there, yes, you, come up here, I want to pray for you. And as they were coming down the aisle, he'd take that Bible and throw it at them. And when they'd grab that Bible, they, I've seen them take off running around the church and, and all that kind of thing. And it was not showmanship. It was the anointing of God. And when he was just a little kid, he was dying on his bed. And the preacher came. And the preacher that came to pray for him took his Bible. And he said, Floyd, I'm going to lay my Bible on your chest. And when I do, the Spirit of God is going to heal you and raise you up. And my question to you today is, will you receive it? And will you take the gospel around the world? 
And he said, I'll receive it. And when that preacher put that Bible on Floyd's chest, he was instantaneously healed and set up off of that, stood up off of that bed, just like the little lady, Jairus' little daughter that was 12 years old. He set up absolutely healed by the power of God and he preached from that day until his last day and there's no telling how many people have been saved because of the word of God that came forth from Floyd Lahan. he has his reward now he's heard well done thou good and faithful servant this week as I was listening to some of the tributes for brother Lahan. Tim Hill, our general overseer, told about a time when he was just a young man, he and his wife Gay, and said he would be called by the overseer and say, Floyd, would you go over to such and such church? And every time it would be a church that was built to hold hundreds of people. And there'd be maybe 10, 15, 20 people there. They weren't even able to pay their, their bills the state office was having to pay them and others. And Floyd would say, I'll go. They didn't have a place for their family to stay. And so Floyd's family made some of the Sunday school classrooms a place where they could sleep at night. They put beds in there. And so they slept in the Sunday school classrooms. And he would preach. And he would cry. And he would weep. And he would reach out to undeserving people. And he would see them saved under the power of God. And it wouldn't be long before that church that they were about to close up and die would be brimming with people who were filled with the Spirit of God, who were saved. And no telling how many times he went into situations like that and God used him. His family was willing to sacrifice a home and kitchens and places where they could live so that they could sleep in Sunday school classrooms because their goal was not to be well known but to make Jesus well known to those who needed to come to Him. And oh, what a, what a sacrifice they made, but what a reward He will receive. Thirdly, when you love people like I'm talking about, there has to be an emotional identification with them. You got to feel what they feel. You have to experience the things that they're experiencing. You got to know. You have to not just have empathy, but sympathy because you've been there. You, you understand what it is that they're going through. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. He said, So that no one would be unsettled by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. In other words, what Paul was doing, he was saying, look, I know you're suffering, but I'm suffering too. I know you're being persecuted, but I'm being persecuted as well. Don't you remember when I was with you, when we, when the team, when we were with you, we told you, we prophesied to you that there would come a day when we would have to suffer persecution. And sure enough, the prophecy has come true. And you are suffering hard times. And I am suffering hard times. So I know exactly what you're going through. How many of you know that God uses your suffering to express His love to others who are suffering in the same way that you did? If you've been through something, then you understand it on a level that others don't. To give you an example, I've been married to this one woman for 45 years. We've never even talked about the possibility of divorce. We agreed when we got married that divorce would not be the option for us if we ever got crossways with one another. Instead of getting divorced, we're just going to smooch a little bit until everything gets better. But we're not going to talk about divorce and we're not going to make it an option. But there are others that you've gone through the very difficult pain of divorce. 
You've lost a spouse. And so I can pray with you and I can empathize with you, but I can't really say that I know what you're going through because I haven't experienced that pain. But there are others in our church that have been through that. They've gone through that pain. They know what that feels like. And they are people who can come to you and comfort you and wrap their arms of love around you in a time when you most need it. Listen, let's not be so proud that we're not willing to go to people who have been through what we've been through so that they can help us and give us the courage to stand strong and say, if you made it, and if you made it, then with the help of God, I can make it too. Amen. So we've got to learn to identify. Jesus did the same thing. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, there's not anybody who feels our pain any greater and deeper than Jesus himself. He was afflicted in every way like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows the pain that you feel. Jesus knows when you feel lonely. Jesus knows when you feel desperate. Jesus knows when you want to give up. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus prayed to the Father and said, Lord, if there be any other way for this to be done, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Listen, church, Jesus knows what you're going through. He feels it. He understands it. Uh, and he is able to comfort you. And many times, the way that he will comfort you is through other believers uh, who have suffered in the same way that you are suffering. Be open to that ministry. Someone said, we will all suffer. And therefore, we should all be able to identify with each other. God set the itinerary for your life. And he made suffering one of the destinations along the road. Preaching that doesn't prepare us to suffer is not interested in our survival. If Jesus... And Paul preached suffering. If Peter and everyone else preached suffering, then how can I edit it out of the Christian contract? Listen, I know that's not something you want to hear today, but I just need to remind you that we're all going to suffer at some point in our life. It's not always going to be as my dad used to say, hunky-dory, whatever that means. It's not always going to look good. It's not always going to be pretty. It's not always going to feel good. It's not always going to be a blessed day in the sense of what we feel. But listen... Just because we are destined to suffer doesn't mean that we are destined to be defeated. No, we are not defeated. In Jesus' name, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen. Give Him praise in the house today. Hallelujah. And then the last thing that they did is they provided in action and attitude protective actions for their lives. Notice verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. There were two things that Paul was concerned about. And the first is he was afraid that they would give up on their faith. I can relate to that as a pastor. Today's a good day. I see so many people in here today. And, and you're here because you're feeling your faith. And you're walking in your faith. And you feel like that there's nothing you can't do in Jesus' name. 
But as I look across this room, I see some of you that I know that you go through dark periods of doubt. You don't even remember or know if you're saved anymore. Listen, that's the devil talking to you. When you were saved, Jesus came to your aid and to, your, to, your, to be your salvation and your deliverer. But you've got to hang in there. Listen, you don't, you don't just come to church for a few weeks because it feels good and then decide, ah, you know, that's not really for me. No, you've got to hold on to your faith. I've said this for years. You don't really have to have faith when everything's going well. All you have to do is just be able to run the race. But listen, when everything starts to fall apart and when doubt starts to seep in and when you begin to wonder whether or not faith in Jesus Christ is the right way to go, let me tell you something. That's when you've got to have faith. That's when you've got to rear your shoulders back and say, Satan, you've got to get behind me. I'm going forward in Jesus' name. When I see you struggling as a pastor, I pray for you harder. And I pray for you more intensely. And I pray for you more frequently because I know you're struggling with your faith. And that's what Paul is saying to these Thessalonians. He's saying, I know that you're struggling with your faith right now because of the difficulty and the persecution. But listen, I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you. I'm sending Timothy to you so that he can bolster your faith and so that you will not give up on your journey of faith. Now listen, your pastor's telling you right now, don't give up. Keep going. You can make it through the Word of God, through the blood of the, the, blood of the Lamb and the Word of your testimony. You can overcome. I believe that today. And then Jesus, listen, Paul didn't say, if you were to read his prayer, Paul didn't say, I had to make sure that the enemy didn't hurt your feelings or that the enemy didn't hurt your body. But instead, Paul said, I had to make sure that the enemy didn't hurt your faith. You know, we sometimes we get so obsessed with earthly blessings. I want to be healed. I want to be Blessed with a new job. I want to make more money. I want to have a bigger house. I want to have a great, great name. I want people to know who I am. We want people to pray for our success. Now listen, Paul said, I'm not praying for any of that. That's not what I'm asking for. Any. I don't care at this moment if you're successful or you're not. I don't even care if you're healed in your body or not. I'm praying that you will not give up on your faith because that is the most important thing that you can hold on to. Jesus in John 17 and verse 12 says, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name which you have given me. And I guarded them and not one of them perished except for the son of perdition. He's talking about Judas there. So the scripture could be fulfilled. Listen, we're all going to suffer in this life. We're all going to go through difficulty. As much as you don't want to hear it, there are going to be times that we're going to be sick in these bodies. There are going to be times that we don't have answers that we'd like to have. There are going to be times that we have relationships that are just absolutely wearing us out. We're going to have all these things come against us, but we have to be determined to stay firm in the faith, knowing this, that if we can make it through this situation, if we can make it through that situation, if we can make it through, then God can give us the victory so that we can then take our experience and share it with others who are going through difficulties and help them to be victorious over all. Our faith. A man by the name of Romel Williams said this. I like it. He said, you can make it limping. Just ask Jacob. Because your limp is necessary to show you how to depend on God.
you can make it limping. You can make it barely getting by. You can make it as long as you hold on to your faith. You say, why would you tell me something like that? Because here, here's the deal. There's coming a day, and it won't be long. I believe Jesus is coming again soon. He's either going to take us by way of the grave or he's going to take us by way of the rapture. But when the rapture takes place or when your death date comes, you may limp into the hospital, you may limp into the car, into the ambulance, but the minute that you draw your last breath, your limping days are over because when you find yourself in the presence of the divine healer, Jesus Christ, your body will be whole. Your relationships will be healed. Everything that is bad about your life today will suddenly be good when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, I'm finished. But I want us to pray together today. And here's how I want us to close. I want you in just a moment, as they begin singing or he begins playing, if there's someone that the Lord has laid on your heart, pray for and to love with this kind of love that I'm talking about today. I want you to come to this altar this morning and stand in for them. I want you to come up here and I want you to pray and call their name. You say, well, what if I need to be blessed? You know, the best blessings I've ever received in my life was when I was serving or blessing someone else. God knows how much you need to be blessed. God knows what you need today, and He'll bless you. But what I want us to do is to bless our families and our loved ones. I love seeing our church full like this. But you know what? We can have two services and do this again if just our families got saved. Just our kids got saved. If, if, if just our prodigals came home. We wouldn't have enough room in here to seat everybody. But it all starts with prayer and love. And I want people to know that I'm a Christian, not because of how high I can jump and how loud I can scream, but because of the love that comes out of my life toward them. Will you stand with me this morning? And I want you to come. Come on down. Find a place. And as soon as you get here, just start calling out names of people that you love. Family, friends, neighbors, children, spouses, aunts, uncles, mean old neighbors. People that it's hard to love. Just come on down.